I'd like to, first of all, welcome everybody back uh, to Yeshiva. So wonderful seeing you all during this uh, this period of time. Ben Kessel Asar between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippurim. I'd like to thank the sponsors of this evening's program, Ellie and Leah Norowitz, Lizeh Kanishmas, Leah's mother, and Eitan and Tamar Rosenbaum, who so beautifully sponsored uh, this evening's event, Lizeh Kanishmas, my father's a friend of Avracha, Hachaber of Tzib and Hachaber of Meshah Levi. And that dedication provides me a perfect segue into discussing the topic um, that I chose to speak about this evening, which has garnered a lot of um, interest. People ask me, what does that mean here? I said, listen, if I would have named it the Mishpat of the Benini, nobody would come. So you have to give them something to, um, you know, think about and, and wonder a little bit about what, what that means, the year of the whale. Now, this year, as many of you, I think, know, was the year that my father was nifter. In fact, a year ago, um, I was supposed to be at this very event, but I was sitting shiva. So I think Rabbi Shmulevitz uh, pinched hit for me. And... Um, so, and the yard site was two days ago. It was, uh, or three days ago, San Gedalia. And it's been a very difficult year. It's been a very difficult year. And not a day has gone by since my father was Nifter that I do not think about him and I don't talk about him. Um, and that I don't feel the constant vacuum and loss of my father and it's something that's not only felt by myself personally but my whole family has been grieving throughout the year um, during Shiva my son came over to me and says uh, you know Tati how are we going to go on living without Opa that's the type of personality that my father had he was a very endearing a very beloved person and whoever knew him knew how, how noble he was and how, what an aristocratic person he, he was. I want to speak about the experience of this year, <coughs> I may, and it will get, hopefully, a point across to everyone in this room. It's not just a personal therapy session for me, it's, there's, a, there's actually a point to this all. Um, and I want to speak about the year using the story of Yaina Hanavi as a metaphor for what I feel that I've gone through and that I'm going through. The story of Yaina is one that's very short. It's the shortest, I believe, of all the Sifrei HaTanach and maybe 86 psukim. Yaina Navi is something that we lane on Yom Kippur right before Ni'ilah, so obviously there is some 
import in in this to our our zman that we're, we're we're in right now. The story of Yaina, I think most of us know. Yaina was a prophet who was told by Hashem to go to the city of Ninveh, a Gaiusha city, and make them do tshuva, give them a warning that if they don't do tshuva, then they're going to be destroyed. And for several reasons that are brought in Chazal, Yaina didn't want to do this shlichus. He did not want to go on this mission that God sent him on, and he was therefore um, beginning to run away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kaviyachol. And we know he ran down to the port and he got on a boat. And then once he was on the boat, there was a stormy sea. And after a whole debate about what exactly to do to stop the storm, they were left with no other choice but to throw Yaina overboard. And that stopped the storm. Yaina Navi was swallowed by a whale. The Pasuk says, Vayaman Hashem Dagodol. There was a very big fish. I don't know if it was a whale, but that's the way um, at least everybody you know, describes the fish of Yaina as, as a whale. It's a very large fish, and it might be big enough a fish to hold a human being. Chazal say that this Dag Gadol, this great fish that swallowed Yaina, was so old, it was from Sheshis Mebereshis, from the six days of creation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has already created this fish that was designed to swallow Yaina and to save Yaina's life. The Pirkei de Rebbe Lazar describes in great detail what was going on behind the scenes, between the lines of this Nabi. Yaina gets into this whale and HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted him to daven. But he didn't daven because he was so comfortable. It was a nice big whale and it was cozy inside. And Chazal described how the eyes of the whale were like eyes that enabled Yaina to see through. They were like transparent eyes. Yaina was like in a submarine when he was in the whale. And this big old fish gave Yaina a tour of all of the major sites underneath the water, everything cool that takes place beneath the oceans that are hidden from our eyes, Yaina got the unique perspective through the eyes of this whale. <coughs> Pirkadur Belazar said that Yaina was shown the Yamsuf, Sha'avar Basaycha B'nai Yisrael. The Yamsuf were Klayisrael crossed the cross as they were going out of Mitzrayim. That was one of the first stops that the fish showed Yaina, and Yaina was amazed. After that, Yaina was shown the Amude Aretz, the very foundations of earth which lie under the water. He was shown that. He was shown Gehenim. Gehenim exists. One of the openings of Gehenim, the Gemara says is under the water, and he was shown the opening of Gehenim. And he was also shown the Heichel Hashem underneath the Beis HaMikdash, somehow in some subterranean cave underneath the Makim HaMikdash, Yaino had the ability to be there and to see above what was going on from 
a view that no one else ever saw. This is how Chazal described what was going on in the mouth of the, of the whale. And I think this is a perfect metaphor almost for my life before up to a year ago. My father was a person who he was he was Nifter when he was eighty one years old. He always used to tell me how in his life I mean it wasn't a short life, it wasn't a very long life, it was a you know it was a life but how much he saw of history in his life, in his short life, he saw so much, such a sweep of history. He was able to escape from Germany, where he was born, to Denmark, where his mother's family was from. And then, when the Nazis came to Denmark, there was the famous rescue of the, the fishing boats from Denmark to Sweden, a, a little canal separates Denmark and Sweden, and the Goyim were Meister Nefesh to ferry the Jews from one side to another in the dark of night. And then after Sweden, he went to Ner Yisrael in Baltimore, his parents sent him, where he was Zeichat to learn by G'dayle Eilam, or David Kronglas, the famous Mashkiach of Ner Yisrael, who he used to tell me how, you know, how inspired he was by his presence, and how he had come as a bacher into Ner Yisrael, and, you know, Rabbi David Kronglas came in on Yom Kippur, like Lel Kol Nidre, and he had like a Turkish towel around his neck, and my father didn't understand what that towel was for. The kittel he understood, and the towels he understood. What was the towel? And he asked an altar bacher next to him, what's the towel for? He says, just wait. You'll see what the towel is for. He says, Rabbi David Kronglas, from the time of Kol Nidre, until Ni'ilah, he was crying and crying and crying and crying, and the Turkish towel was dripping wet by the end of Yom Kippur. And he learned by him, and he learned by Ruderman, and then he went back to Denmark to get his parents, and they came back to Wachtenites, and in the meantime, there was the founding of the State of Israel, and, and the rebirth of Judaism in America and in Europe and Eretz Israel. And he saw like such a sweep of history in his, in his lifetime. And I always felt, being Zeichah to have a father like I had, that I was like able to see things like Yaina from the belly of the whale. I was able to see things from a unique perspective through his eyes. He who was to me, as old as Sheshus Mabaratius, for he saw so much in his life and he experienced so much highs and lows. And I felt like I was able to have a unique perspective on things. And I was, in a way, very, very fortunate to have a vantage point that very few people had if their parents were not survivors or their parents were not as old as my father was or as successful and, 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 and ambitious as he. And he showed me, as the fish showed Yaina, he showed me the Yamsa Shavru Bnei Yisrael B'Seichai, the sea that Klai Yisrael went across. He took me just a few years ago on a 
trip to Germany and then to Denmark, and we passed across that very canal that the Nazis almost caught them in the middle of the night as they were as their fishing boat was going across the sea. The Nazi boat was looking for Jews that are going across, and there was a a boat with very heavy, strong headlights and. They thought it was the Nazis, they thought it was all over, and Baruch Hashem, it was just another fishing boat. But they were able to make it across to safety, which saved their lives. And my father's grandmother, who was in her 90s at the time, she also went on that boat, and she died in Sweden. She's buried in Malmo, where we visited her grave. He showed me the Yamsuf of our family that we crossed. And he showed me the Amude Aretz, he showed me the pillars of this world, the Taira and the Avaid and the Gemilas Chasadim that he perfected. He dedicated so much of his resources to yeshivas and to building the yeshivas and to being at the helm of many of the institutions. His Gemilas Chesed, he, had, he was the head of a, an organization called Hebrew Free Burial that buried many, many, many indigent Jews and for free Russian Jews, Jews that needed burial that were not able to afford it. He built a mikvah single-handedly in Long Beach that's a beautiful state-of-the-art mikvah, raised all the money for it and personally cared for it. He was a person that was very classy, very dignified, but when he went to the mikvah, he was a different person. He would personally take all the dirty towels and he'd throw them in the washing machine and then he would take them from the washing machine, put them in the dryer and fold them and clean the floors and, you know, things that were, I never would see him in a million years do at home. My mother's in the room, I think she could attest to it. And all of a sudden, like when it comes to things for the seaboard, he was a different person. So he showed me the Amudi Ailam the pillars of Taira and Avaid and Gemilas Chasadim. He showed me the Heichel Hashem, how to have the proper Derecharetz for Taira and for Abanim, how he was enamored by Gedailim and by the Gedailim Island of Yor, the Wurzburger Rav, my great-great-grandfather, my father spent probably half of his life either talking about him, learning about him, publishing his unpublished Kisveyad manuscripts, dedicating yeshiva buildings in his memory, the Heichel Hashem, and the last trying phase of his life, he showed me Gehenim. He showed me how a person could live and endure despite all of the excruciating pain that he, Nebuch, he had to go through. The machla that he that so weakened him and made him unable to do the things that he loved doing. The biggest punishment for somebody that's a giver is to suddenly have to be a taker. And when a person is Loyaleno in a situation that he's sick or that she's sick, suddenly you have to you have to take. What's your choice? You can't you, my father couldn't pick up his head for many of the last few years of his life or the last year. 
I'd come, I'd come to Long Beach to visit or to take him to the doctor, and he was like laying tachinin on the kitchen table. He was so weak. And it wasn't the, the sickness that bothered him as much as the fact that he needed now that people should help him instead of him being able to help others as he loved to do. And how he lived throughout those trying times, that Gehenim, how he lived with such a munah, and how he believed that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had a plan, and he never stopped believing, even in the worst of times. The last time that I really had a meaningful conversation with him was Rosh Hashanah. Last year, Rosh Hashanah, I started off here, and then I got a call from my sister who was in the hospital that I have to come and... Um, help her in the hospital because my father was asking for me and there were a lot of shilas that need to be taken care of and so I just basically got into a car service and I, I went to the hospital and on the second day of Rosh Hashanah or maybe it was the, 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 the night of the second day of Rosh Hashanah my father, he was like in and out of consciousness and all of a sudden he just said in the middle of his sleep almost he started crying to Hashem and he says Hashem says, you saved me on this fishing boat to Sweden. I need you to save me now again. Anna Hashem Hashiyana, he said. To the very day, to the last day came out of his life. He said, Anna Hashem Hashiyana is bitachan and his amun and Baruch was so rock solid. I saw the Gehenim. And I saw how one endures the Shiva Madura Gehenim as a person have to, has to. And perhaps because I felt always so secure from that vantage point, seeing the world from a sort of mature and a panorama that was unique, maybe I never really davened as I should have, like Yaina didn't daven in that big whale, because it was fine, everything was taken care of for him, he saw everything, it, was, it wasn't too bad. And then suddenly a year ago, as happened to Yaina, the Pasuk says after Vayaman Hashem Dagadol, the Pasuk then switches to Alashan Akeba, Vayispalo Yaina Hashem Mime'eha Daga. Yaina started davening from the mouth of the female whale, and all the Mepharshim are bothered, what happened? How did the male suddenly turn into a female? And Chazal say that there was another fish that came along, a female fish that was much smaller than the first whale, and if that wasn't enough, this female was pregnant with 365,000 babies in it. And it made it so uncomfortable for Yaina that he was left with no choice but to daven. And that's what I felt during this year of Avelos. I was not in the Dagado anymore, Suddenly I was in a very tight predicament without my father scrambling to try to find some bearing on how to deal with the world, this new world. And I davened. And I davened for the Ahmed for a whole year. When a person like Eleno is an Oval, I think there's really two things that he does different than the whole, the rest of his life. First of all, you say a Kaddish. 
And a Kaddish, of course, represents Siddiq Adin. You say to Hashem, I don't know what your Cheshpin was, but I, I trust that there is a Cheshpin and that Amir Hashem, it should all be for a global good. And that Yehesh Me Mavarach, your name should be blessed, and I believe in you, and that that's one thing that Kaddish represents, that's one thing that an Avil does. Your Mekadesh Shem Shamayim, through the acceptance of the loss that you sustained. And there's another thing that I did differently this year because I was a Shliach Tzibor. You say Karbanis. Karbanis, you know, the famous joke is that, you know, you daven, the first thing, you sacrifice the Karbanis. You know, you come a little late, you come a little low, you want to look up something before you know <coughs> if you're up to Mizmashir. And like, you know, very few people, I shouldn't say very few, but it's not uncommon for people to sacrifice the Karbanis every morning. But when you're a uh, every day, and he's saying brachas, and you got to do something to kill the time between, you know, brachas and mizmashir. So you say karbanis. And it hit me one morning as I was saying the karbanis that the reason why an avo is forced to say karbanis is because it teaches you how much the person that died sacrificed for you. How much did our parents give us in order to get us this far And that inspired me throughout the year. And enabled me to be in this new situation, in this new dog, to daven, like I never davened before in a certain way, because I didn't have that confidence that I used to have seeing things through uh, the eyes of my father. But now I was sort of fending for myself, and I had to daven in earnest. After Yaina davened in the mouth of the second whale, he went, he was spit out, and he went to Ninveh to do his shlichus. And he warned Ninveh as Hashem wanted to do tshuva. And I feel that at the end of the year of Avelos, it's a time that you have to dust yourself off and not let the heaviness sink you, but to somehow find the buoyancy to get up once again and to have that new resolve to continue the legacy that you are destined to do. But it's interesting. There's a strange diok in Sefer Yaina that after Yaina davened from the mouth of the whale, you'd expect who is the fish that ejected Yaina onto dry land should be the female the female fish that he was in and that he davened from, that should be the fish that would eject him, that would spit him out onto dry land. But the Pasuk says, Vayayimer Hashem ladog, es yayna el hayabasha. Hashem spoke to the fish, the male fish, and the male fish ejected yayna onto the abasha, which is very odd. How did he get back into the male fish? And the Mepharshim say, some of the Mepharshim at least, that what happened was after the female fish did its job, and after it was able to induce Yaina to daven in it, it then spat Yaina back into the mouth of the big fish, and then the mouth of the big fish spat Yaina out onto the dry land. 
And I think that that has also a lot of significance as I'm going forward now after the Avelos because it's not merely that I am on my own and that I have to do my mission alone and carry on without my father. But at the end of the year of Avelos, once the lessons that a person needs to learn have hopefully been absorbed, at the end of the year you go back to the dog. You go back to the mouth of the Dagodal and you revisit your father and you join him in a certain way and you live life together with him. Revolbi writes a beautiful letter in the Ali Shur. It's a letter that one of the Talmidim of Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, who was Revolbi's rabbi, one of the great Talmidim, one of the great disciples of Yerucham, wrote a letter to his family, to his children. It's an amazing letter. In the letter it says, it's brought in the Ali Shur, the letter is a letter that was to be read by his children after he dies, giving them guidance. And I just want to read you a small piece of the letter. To my dear and beloved sons and daughters, the purpose of this letter is to console you for when I will not be with you anymore. A person does not know when his time will be up, but the day will come, may Hashem bless me with long life, when my place at home will be empty and you will be orphans. My beloved, I have seen many orphans, most of whom find themselves in darkness and without hope. Some are jealous, thinking, Others have parents, but not me. <coughs> Some feel that their world has, hum- has tumbled down. Few are able to strengthen and to brace themselves, to elevate themselves after the tragedy in their lives. I therefore concluded that before one can comfort and mourner, it is essential to teach him how to deal with the situation. I hope that I succeed in this endeavor, and may you comprehend these words so that they illuminate your lives. The key to the mystery of life is faith in the true God, the creator of the universe. God's power keeps the world going. Every blade of grass derives its sustenance from the creator and surely each human being. This spirit of life is the essence of everything and the most important part of a person is his spirit and his soul. I trust that I have raised you to have faith in God. I now encourage you to strengthen your faith and to realize that this is also the secret to the mystery of death. If life would be over for a dead person, it would be difficult to comfort a mourner. But that is not so. Although the body passes away, the person continues to exist. Our great teacher, Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, wrote, Death should be understood as moving from one city to another. This is the real truth. Your father has not died. May his memory be blessed, for he is alive. He has merely moved. To the understanding person, there is even more to say. The deceased is now even closer to you than before, for now there are no separations. One who has faith is able to deal with the concept of death. The truth is that the deceased is alive. He is aware of everything, and he is close to his relatives at all times. However, I realize that you will still be bothered by his seeming absence. 
Children are accustomed to seeing their parents, asking for advice and being helped. Even after they move away from home, they rely on and know that they can always turn to their parents. Who can fill this void? However, think it over, my beloved ones. If you really loved me when I was with you, and if your love was not just superficial, you can always picture me in front of your eyes. You will know what I would have said and how I would have advised you. As an example, we see our sages say about Yosef HaTzadik that he withstood temptation because the vision of his father was before his eyes. Use the vision of your father to give you strength and encouragement. Keep in mind, the essence of a person is the spiritual, and that part continues to live. This was the first part of the letter that he wrote to his children to be mephias them, to appease them, after he would die, which is an amazing thing. How many people think to write such a letter to console their children, to give them direction? But this is the letter that sort of carries me through this experience, and I use to explain this end of Yaina, where Yaina goes back to the big dog, and he has to go back because... That's the way to move forward. In order for a person to really do his shlichas, he has to go and revisit the large dog where he started from and where he was raised and where he was trained and where he was exposed to so much and use all of those experiences going forward to be wise and to be humble and to be ambitious, just like my father was. The message that I want you to take from all of this during these Yimei Adin is that and this is a message that I, I often tell the Talmidim and maybe you remember me even saying this when you were in Yeshiva sometimes having parents is not so easy it's much easier to deal with strangers sometimes than, than your closest relatives and a parent-child relationship is often a strained one because hashkafas sometimes are different and you know, parents are at a different stage of life and they see things in a different way often than children. But when your parents are alive, and I hope that all of your parents are alive, when your parents are alive, you should not ever take them for granted, not for one second. Because, Rahman al-Islam, you don't want to wait till it's too late to have to think back and try to rectify things that you wish you had done different. One of the alchets that we say in, in Yom Kippur and one of the ten biduyim and all the ten biduyim that we say over the course of Yom Kippur is alchet shechatanu lefanecha bezilzol hayrim umayrim. We clap an alchet, a bitter alchet for how much we sometimes weren't respectful or worse to our parents. And that's a very serious crime. It's one of the Aseris Hadibris is to, to honor our parents. And although it's hard, it's one of the hardest mitzvahs to accomplish. That's why it's on the Aseris Hadibris. It would be easy. It wouldn't make it to the top ten. It's difficult. It's difficult to sometimes 
see eye to eye with your parents and respect them and to be subservient to them. And sometimes, you know, our parents aren't even people that it seems superficially are even worthy of respect in a certain way because maybe they live lifestyles that are not to our liking. I'll tell you something that the Chayyadam writes in his Sefer, and it's interesting, by the Hesper that I gave for my father, I mentioned that my father every Shabbos, or Moshe Abbasim, by the Shabbos table, he would learn Chayyadam. That was his Halacha Sefer, and he would, you know, learn in Yanadiyayma, before Yom Taivim, we would learn from the Chayyadam, and throughout the year, and... Somebody came over to me after Babai, I still don't know who it is to this day. I think maybe it was Elian Navi. But I never I know I don't know who he seemed like a like a brilliant type of personality guy. And he came over, he says, You should know that your father shares the same yard site as the Chayodim. Chayodim was also Nifta and Dalad Tishrei, just like my father was. The Chayodim writes something that's astounding. Nothing short of astonishing. If you look it up, I don't know which simon it is, you could look in the, in the, in the table of contents. In Hilchas Kibbut Avaim, he writes that every single person has an obligation when dealing with one's parents to look at them and to perceive them. You have to look at your parents as being one of the Gedailim. There's a Steinemann, there's a Chaim Kanievsky, and then there are your parents. And they're all sitting on the same dais. And what does that mean? I mean, who are we kidding? They're not a Chaim Kanievsky, and they're not a, they're not a Steinemann. But I think what it means is, and I think Rabbi Victor Miller explains this Chayodam in this way, is that every single parent has some Milo has some beautiful attribute that has to be appreciated. They might not be from, but they might be very generous. They might be doting parents. They might be wonderful husband and wife. There's something that we could find in any one of our parents, whether you're close to them or you're not, whether you're a big fan of them or you're not. There's something, one nakuda, that you can look at your parents and say, wow, they are amazing because they have this special thing that no one else has in the whole world. My father's the best at this, and my mother's the greatest at that. And when a person can focus on the good, and that one point shine a strong light on, and try to like blur the negatives about them, if there, is, if there are some, then you can start appreciating your parents in a new light. Don't wait for Father's Day or for Mother's Day to call and to say, I love you. Try to do it daily. If you can call your parents every single day, that wouldn't be a small thing. If you can make amends, if there is a strain, Khalil, on the relationship, and many people do have that strain, but if there is a strain in the relationship, between during between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, now is the perfect time to make that call or to go visit and give a hug and give a kiss and say, I'm sorry. Because I can attest that it's not going to last forever. And as much as your parents hopefully are strong and healthy and hopefully young and vibrant, 
and they should live and beyond. But you just don't know. You're playing a game of Russian roulette. You just don't know. God's plans are very, very... Life is very, very topsy-turvy. And what one person's health today does not automatically translate to a chazaka that tomorrow will be the same thing. And that's what I want to sort of share with you. A unique perspective on going through a death of a parent, going through a year of Avelos, and standing now before Yom Kippur, and just sharing with you some, some advice. Don't let another day go by. Fix what you need to fix now. Because Yom Kippur represents a certain end. And the Elah is like the closing of the gates. There's a certain finality to Yom Kippur that reminds us of the finality of life. And if we can harness that finality, because if we don't have any end, if there's always you know, just open terrain in front of us, we never really take the initiative to do what we have to do. Yom Kippur gives us that finality. We're looking at it, like Rabbi Shmulevit says, there is a, a dead end, if you'll pardon the expression. That's what Ni'ila is. That's what Yom Kippur is. And if a person is able to see that brick wall in front of him and he's heading for it, it's a time to understand what the Aveda is and to do tshuva internally and then to do the difficult job. The more difficult job of tshuva is actually interfacing and dealing, and even if you have a wonderful relationship with your parents, make it an even greater relationship. It's something that if you do it, you will never, ever regret it. But if you don't do it, you will regret it. I want to take this opportunity to wish all of you beloved Talmidim and the Rebetzins in the room a gemachasimataiva, a wonderful, good zis, gebench the art. It should be a year that we have simchas and we share simchas together. It should be a year that whoever is sick should have a refua. It should be a year of all of the turmoil taking place around Eretz Yisrael. <coughs> it should have a peaceful resolution. The gedolim that we have, the few gedolim that we have left, should have arichas yamim b'shanim to lead us to be mekabot Mashiach tzikeno. And Amir Hashem, we should take the lessons that hopefully we have gleaned this evening and use them. Put, don't let it go to waste. Don't let this opportunity just slip by. This is not just another shmuz and not another drasha. I'm speaking to you from my heart, and I'm hoping that that it will go directly into your heart, and that will translate into the day. The Mavashi will come. Lifnei ba yaim Hashem agadav aner. The day before Mashiach comes, Alyanavi will come. Beheshev leivavayis albanim, leivanim alavaysam. Children will once again embrace their parents. Parents will embrace their children. That's what will be the catalyst to bring Mashiach. When parents and children are able to embrace and are able to have a shared vision of life and love one another, and come close to one another, and say the right words, and do the right thing, that will be the ultimate precursor of the Mavasa Taiv, 
the Mashmi Yeshua Eliyah Navi to come and herald the advent of the arrival of Mitzvah Hashem Bekarev and Mashiach Tzikein of the Meir B'Amenu Amin.